maybe they turned MacArthur into a giant bird and then he carried the other two men away. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what happened. That's what happened. That's why his coat was left behind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. Hello, you're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. In this episode, we are going to talk about the disappearance of the Eileen Moore Lighthouse Keepers. Also possibly pronounced Aileen Moore, but we're going to go with the very English pronunciation because that's what we've heard the most. Anyway, before we do something spooky, a reminder, it is getting closer to our favorite time of year, or I guess I would argue that we are in our favorite time of year, which means that we will be recording our annual Halloween listener stories episode soon. So if you have any spooky stories you'd like us to share and attempt to debunk, or if you have a spooky story that you've been able to debunk, that works too. uh, Please share it with us through social media or send us an email at spookysciencesisters at gmail.com. Before we get to the story though, Paige, has anything spooky happened to you recently? No, nothing spooky for me. Uh, Our ghost has been pretty quiet. Or at least I haven't been downstairs around it. Elliot had been sick. So I kind of isolating from him until we knew that it was nothing serious. Um, (laughs) So it's very possible that I just didn't hear anything, but nothing spooky. What about you? No, nothing specific spooky other than uh, Alice keeps scaring the crap out of me coming into the office behind me while I'm have headphones on and then I realize she's there and it freaks me out. (laughs) But, uh, one thing that I did want to know was in doing this episode in researching for this episode, it felt very right that today was a windy and cold day. It was like the first day where it really felt like fall finally, and it was pouring rain. And I was like, this is very appropriate for what we're talking about. Yeah. That is kind of spooky, isn't it? Yeah. So the universe knew that we were talking about bad weather and stormy seas. (laughs) Okay. So to preface this, both of my parents were in the Coast Guard. My mom just for a few years and my dad for his whole career. So I am just like a huge sucker for spooky mysteries at sea. And this is just one of those spooky stories that has been floating around for so long, over a hundred years. And it's just one that I love so much. Like any time that I see a podcast that I follow that releases an episode on it, I'm like, yes, I'm listening to that. Even though I've heard the story like 50 times at this point. (laughs) So yeah, well, and like you clearly know a lot about it because I remember like I put sort of a basic outline and then like popped on the next day and there were like already like four pages of notes. (laughs) (laughs) um, I, however, like had heard probably through you, I would imagine about this story before, but like admittedly knew very, very little about it. Uh, So this is your opportunity to teach me. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! I'm excited. Okay. 
Well, so first of all, I found out that there's actually a movie specifically about this story called The Vanishing, which came out in 2018 and stars Gerard Butler. And I was like, well, I had never heard of that and cannot believe that I missed that. So I'm definitely going to have to watch that. But what I one that I have seen is The Lighthouse. And I couldn't remember. Have you seen that? I don't think so. It's in black and white, and it's got Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson in it. So, like, you'd know if you'd seen it, I think. Yeah, I I don't believe I have. Okay. Well, it's really sort of like a bizarre movie, but (laughs) I would be totally shocked if at least parts of it were not based on this story. Like, it's like about lighthouse keepers at a similar time. So it's not, it's, I thought you were going to say that it was like, was about the movie. Okay. No, no, no. It's like not specifically about this. It's just like, I would be shocked if like there weren't aspects of it that the director pulled from, but like, it's like a very, it's the same guy who did the witch. And so it's like a very period accurate look at like what it was like to be a lighthouse keeper at the time. And like. Yeah, sort of the the mentally taxing parts of it. So Yeah, I'll probably watch that. Yeah, it is. I think I'm not going to say you I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know how I, you feel about it. Is he the same one who or the guy who did The Witch is the same person who did Hereditary, right? No, that's a different guy. But oh, like, it is. Yeah, but they but they do have sort of like a similar, similar style. Yeah. So like it's Robert Eggers did The Witch and he did The Lighthouse and then the more recent The Northman that came out this summer. Yeah. And then it's uh, Ari Aster did Hereditary and Midsummer and stuff. But like there's similar vibes where they're kind of like that. I don't know. I forget forget what the phrase is. Like it's more just like highbrow or like artistic horror, I guess. Mm -hmm. Unclear. Anyway, not really that important. Everything about this story, I was, there's no way that parts of the lighthouse did not come from it. Did I look it up? No, that's just what I suppose. (laughs) Okay, so let's dive in and set the scene a little bit for where we are located, and then we can jump into freaky lighthouse keepers disappearing stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Yay! (laughs) Um, So we are at the Flannan Isles, which are also known as the Seven Hunters. Uh, It's a group of islands in Scotland. One of those islands, Eileen Moore, was the home of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse, which is also known as the Eileen Moore Lighthouse. That is the one we'll be talking about today. The 75-foot lighthouse was constructed between 1895 and 1899, and the first official lighting of it was December 8th, 1899. Eileen Moore is one of the two principal Northeast Islands and is like just about 43 acres. Uh, So it's not very big. Yeah. And the highest point on the Flannan Islands is 289 feet above sea level and is on Eileen Moor. Yes. And the lighthouse itself sits on a lower part of the island that's a bit more accessible. So like the 289 feet is just like sheer cliffs down to the ocean. So the lighthouse is on a little bit of a lower part that is about 150 feet above sea level. Um, And we're talking very specifically about that detail because it will become important later. So everything about this story, and it's, it's funny to me that next week we're releasing the episode on sort of like 
internet urban legends or modern folklore that we recorded with Tyson because this story feels a lot like what has happened to some of those stories, like taking something that's real and like turning it into like this potentially supernatural occurrence and like some of the details get fudged. And I probably like it so much because it like bears similarities to like the Dyatlov Pass incident stuff. Like there's just mysterious stuff about what happened. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of that episode. (laughs) We know what Megan's favorite brand of spooky stories is. Mysterious (laughs) disappearances. Okay. But I mentioned this because like everything about this location and this story and the situation is just like primed to become this spooky mystery story. And the island itself already had sort of a weird history. It's named after St. Flannan, who was an Irish bishop or missionary who built a chapel on the island in the 7th century and obviously would later go on to be sainted, sanctified. I have no idea what it's called. (laughs) Named a saint. Saint Unclear. regarded as worthy of sainthood, formally okay. recognized as a saint. This uh sainted. I don't sure. know. Sure. Great. Sure. <laughs> We're saying that. We don't know. We're not Catholic. Anyway. <laughs> apparently Saint Flannan took up residence on the island at some point and built his chapel there, but ends up fleeing the island with his sheep, claiming that strange things were happening and he and his flock were being harassed. Shepherds would continue to bring sheep to graze on the island. And like, I think that's a little bit of a funny detail. Like, are they just like taking all these sheep on a boat out? I had to say for the day. (laughs) Like, I didn't really think about that until right now, but it's like, we were taking day trips with our sheep to an island, like... I I don't know, man. Okay. Well, that's a weird detail. It anyway, is a weird detail. It might be true. You know, it might... It, it, whatever. It just seems like, I guess, sheep want to go... You know, they want to get out of their normal pasture sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. That seems right. <laughs> yeah, me too, sheep. Yes. But apparently these shepherds never stay the night because they were afraid of spirits said to haunt the island. There are also tales of a group of little people who lived on the island. And it was a little, like, I think they meant, it was hard to say, like, whether they whether they meant, like, little people as in, like, fairy folk or, like, just actual small people. I think the latter, but... They still had some, like, mystical aspects to them, as far as I could tell. I had heard they were blue people. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe, like, the blue people in Kentucky. Uh, Yeah, maybe like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember where I either read that. I I swear it was on a podcast that I had heard that they, like, there were tales of blue people. So that makes me think it's more, like, fairy. Yeah, or there's definitely some, like mystical, you know, supernatural aspect to those people that supposedly lived on the island and like used to screw with people. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the story we're going to talk about takes place before lighthouse automation. That didn't occur at least for 
the Eileen Moore Lighthouse until September of 1971. So before the automation was completed, the lighthouse required that keepers stayed there to operate it. Uh, At a minimum, two keepers had to stay, one to operate the beacon while the other got rest. However, typically, um, it was actually a group of four where three would stay and work for, I can't remember, I think you talk about later how many weeks at a time. Yeah, in this case, it's six weeks on and... And two weeks off. Um, So three would be working as one was taking those two weeks off. Um, And so they typically had three people at the lighthouse for a lot of reasons, but I got sort of a kick out of the video that I watched that said that the reason for the third person was in case one of the other ones murdered somebody there. So they... That's so dumb. I'm like... (laughs) I mean, like, sure, like... That's sure, a, that's a possible reason, but sure. it seems much more likely that like, I don't know, someone gets the stomach flu or gets injured or whatever. Right. Like, then they have a backup. Yeah. Then they have a backup there to do what they need to do. I mostly like, I thought it was ridiculous, but as we talk through this story and we talk through some of the theories, I thought at the very least it was worth mentioning that this was brought up in, in one of the videos that I had watched. Yeah. But I also feel like maybe the video was like leading people to believe the theory that, yeah, like one of them murdered the other ones. But like the idea here was that the light itself, which like had to be manually lit, like it was an oil lamp at the time. So this was before there would have been electricity to keep it lit. So they needed somebody to refill the oil reservoir and like make sure that it stayed lit and keep an eye on things. So like there's supposed to always be somebody in the lighthouse making sure things were okay. So why are we talking about this particular lighthouse? Well, it is because in December of 1900, all three lighthouse keepers mysteriously vanished and nobody really knows what happened to them. And so you can imagine that some of the explanations get sort of crazy. So first, we're going to talk about the disappearance of the crew. So the crew that was stationed at the lighthouse in December of 1900 consisted of James Duckett, who was 43, Donald MacArthur, who was 40, and Thomas Marshall, who was 28. All three were experienced and were, as far as I know, known to be some of the best employed by the Northern Lighthouse Board. And they had to be because the Flannan Light was one of the most difficult stations to man. So they like you're out in on an island like in the North Atlantic, like things get pretty nasty and conditions get pretty nasty. So again, another detail that this is like set up to be the perfect spooky disappearance story. I did... I had heard that Donald MacArthur was relative, he wasn't like new, new as a um, keeper, but that he was like trained to be a like backup and was only brought in after one of their other crew members had fallen ill or had been injured or something. Do you know anything about that? Is that... Yeah. So he was known as an occasional keeper. Like basically he was just an a stand-in in case, yeah, one of the original four in that rotation, you know, got sick or injured and, and couldn't do their job. So it's like possible that he didn't have as much experience because it wasn't his full-time job, but 
you know, he's a 40 year old ex soldier with the family. And yeah, like I, I think he knew what he was doing. Like he wasn't just some dude off the street, basically. (laughs) Right, right. So like we mentioned, they worked a six weeks on two weeks off schedule. And on December 26th of 1900, Joseph Moore, uh, who was the fourth keeper, was on his way over to the island to relieve one of them. And I guess it would like make sense if he was relieving MacArthur since he was the occasional keeper, but I don't actually know which one of them he was supposed to take mm-hmm. over for. But he was, and like, how bad does like the guy that MacArthur was filling in for feel? <laughs> yeah. You'd have some serious survivor's guilt after that. I suppose it depends what story you believe. Well, true. <laughs> <laughs> But Joseph Moore is traveling to the island on a lighthouse tender boat called the Hesperus that was captained by a man named or called Captain Harvey. And importantly, they were running a few days late because of bad weather around December 20th. There had been a really heavy winter storm that had come through. So I'm sure Joseph Moore was like, well, these guys are ready to see me for sure. Like they expected them to (laughs) come running out and be like, get us out of here. We are ready to go home. It is Christmas time. (laughs) Uh, And they're ready for new supplies and whatever. But Joseph and the crew of the Hesperus noticed that something was off almost immediately as they approached the island. The Flag was not hoisted to acknowledge the arrival of the tender. No one came out of the lighthouse to greet them, even after they blew their steam whistle and shot off a flare. So, yeah. So, like, Joseph is worried. Like, why is this not happening? This is the first time that it's recognized that that something has gone seriously wrong. Like, they're, they're not coming out of the lighthouse. They don't know, you know, why they're not coming out to greet the ship. Yeah. And so um, it is worth mentioning that on the night of December 15th, Captain Holman of a steamship called the Archter. I think it's probably the Arctur, but I don't know. That's that's what I thought too, once again. I'm not sure. Arctur or Archter um, <laughs> had passed by the lighthouse and noticed at that time that the light was out. Now, since you do know this story better than I do, I have uh-huh. read both that he was able to send that communication off to the like lighthouse board. And then I've also read that like at some point his ship crashed and then he never actually made it back to give anybody that information. Do you know? I don't actually know. I think I feel like I read something about that earlier, but I couldn't can't remember exactly what it said. I know that like his I did read once that his ship ends up like running aground. And so like, maybe that triggers them to look into it. But I don't know if he like, I don't think he dies or anything. I think he he manages to report it eventually, at least after the fact, like, oh yeah, that was weird. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. What I had read for that is that like, I I guess it doesn't like crash crash, but yeah, like it like hits a rock or something and they're, they in the, you know, hustle bustle of trying to get everything figured out, he sort of forgets about the light being out. And it's not until later when it's brought back up that he's like, oh, I saw that, but like yeah. sort of got busy and never reported it. Yeah. I guess like I, I would, I'd have to look, I don't know if you, if you're interested in this, I guess, look into it more. I guess my impression was that they found this out from him after the fact and that they didn't have any idea that something was wrong until they make that trip over the island on December 26th. Okay. That seems right. 
I just read both. So because it seems like like for Joseph Moore, like they're just going over there on schedule, right? And like had they heard the light was not light or anything, like you think they'd go earlier? I think they would have tried to go earlier, or like I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Something else would have happened, but. All right, so Joseph Moore takes a longboat to shore with uh, and climbs up to the lighthouse to find out that it is completely abandoned and apparently had been for days. Uh, all the clocks had stopped due to no one being around to wind them. So yeah, so he he's like, okay, well, no one's no one's been here for a little while. Joseph grabs a couple more men from the Hesperus to search the island, but they find nothing obvious in terms of what happened to the missing lighthouse keepers. We'll talk about some evidence that they did find, but it's like relatively little um, over the next few minutes. So Captain Harvey back on the Hesperus orders Joseph and three crewmen from that um, from that tender to remain on the island, relight the light because that's like priority number one and keep watch over things, which like not a job that I would want to do. Like everyone's missing. Like it's very mysterious <laughs> and creepy. Like, all right, now stay here on this island that like already has weird stories about it. Have fun. Uh, <laughs> he uh, heads to the nearest telegraph station and sends out a message to the Northern Lighthouse Board in Edinburgh that reads, and I'm going to shorten this a little bit. So it's in part. A dreadful accident has happened at the Flannans. The three keepers, Duckett, Marshall, and the occasional, like, geez, don't even name them. Just call them the occasional, <laughs> have disappeared from the island. Fired a rocket, but as no response was made, managed to land more who went up to the station, but found no keepers there. Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane or something like that. Night coming on, we could not wait to make something as to their fate. So already, already spooky just from that little message. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Joseph sticks around the island, is poking around, looking for evidence of what happened to his coworkers and, you know, probably his friends. In a report dated from December 28th, he writes that despite the lighthouse being deserted, everything's generally in order inside, which we'll talk a little bit about like the option that there was some sort of foul play here. But to me, like no signs of a fight or struggle, like seems like, you know, there's, there's probably not anything like that going on. Uh, things are also in order at the landing on the eastern side, which is where the Hesperus came in. So that's where Joseph had landed. The western landing, though, on the other side of the island, which is much more exposed to the sort of open North Atlantic Sea, did show signs of storm damage. The small trolley or rail cart system that had been built to ferry supplies up to the lighthouse had damaged rails. Um, and like, damaged rails. I mean, like iron train rails getting like ripped away from the rocks partially. So pretty heavy damage. Yeah. And a large box that contained mooring lines for boats docking there and that would have been anchored down uh, was gone. And importantly, this damage had occurred since Joseph had left the island on December 7th. So we're like starting to establish 
a timeline here. So then another guy, Robert Muirhead, who is the superintendent in charge of the Flannan Light, which like there's a whole network of people for lighthouses. It's very impressive. It really is. Yeah. (laughs) I had no idea. Yeah. Like just how big of a thing they all are. Uh, Okay. But a few weeks later, well, he makes a visit before the end of December. So within a few days of the incident or within a few days of them finding out about whatever this incident was, he writes up a report. I guess one thing to note is that at the time he visits the island, he's unable to get all the way down to the West Landing because of heavy weather. But he does note that several things uh, are amiss. Basically, he's looking down from above from the crane platform. So importantly, he also mentions the missing or at least damaged box used for storing the mooring ropes and other materials for operating the crane that would have been used to unload things from docked boats. He specifically notes that various types of ropes were displaced and twisted, and this crane platform was located 70 feet above sea level. So this is like at least waves are crashing up to a height of 70 feet. And even above the crane at a height of 110 feet above sea level, he notes that a huge boulder had been dislodged and fallen onto a concrete path. And there's a life buoy that had been connected to a railing along that path that had been ripped off. And Muirhead specifies that it's not like humans like ripped it off to use it. It was like from water splashing up with enough force and then like pouring back through the railing rips off this life buoy. And if you've ever been like around, you know, nautical things or ship mooring lines, like they're pretty heavy duty. So it's like a big deal for all this stuff to get thrown around. So safe to say there was strong evidence for huge waves pummeling the island sometime during the period of December 7th to December 26th. I feel like the theories have already been spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, pretty much like you hear that information and it's like, yeah, like you, you can already decide right. what happened, what likely happened. Like clearly they think this is what happened and they right. are the professionals. Like Right. And then like some people have turned it into this big thing. And we're going to talk about the things that people think, but you know. Here we you, are you telling know. you. Spoiler alert, like <laughs> nothing weird is going on here. Like, yeah, it's still kind of creepy because, it's, you know, anyway, what, you know, you know the drill, people. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now from these reports, other observations from the logbook, the state of the living quarters, and this passing ship, the Arctor, Archtor, we can put this timeline of the disappearance together. So observations of the weather were recorded on a chalkboard on December 15th at 9 a.m. The intention was whatever was written on this chalkboard gets transferred to the logbook at a later date. The last entry in the logbook was actually dated December 13th. Uh, But the lighthouse keepers had been diligent about their entries up until then. So it's very likely that whatever happened, happened on December 15th or no later than the next day, December 16th. We know from the arch door passing by that the light was out the night of December 15th. That's like biggest no-no number one of lighthouse keeping is do not let the light go out. So for that to go out, it was a big 
deal or for that to not be lit, it was a big deal. So that pretty much solidifies December 15th as the day. Like they must have all been gone by then for the light not to have been lit. Morning chores had been completed and there was evidence that they had eaten and cleaned up their midday meal. The lighthouse keepers were forbidden to all be outside of the lighthouse after dark. So I guess they did have a little bit of flexibility, like they could all three go outside at the same time if it was daytime. But it was at night, like when the lighthouse is going to be you know, the most crucially needed was Mm -hmm. when somebody always had to be there. But dark at that time of year starts at like 4 p.m. So again, now we can nail it down to it's likely that whatever happened happened sometime in the early afternoon. And one thing that I wanted to say about this is like, there's so, there's so much of this where they're like, they never would have done that. Like they were so responsible. This was against the rules, blah, blah, blah. And like, I get like they're experienced. Deckett and MacArthur are older, but like, you know, Marshall isn't like the youngest, especially 1900. Like he's 28 years old. He's a grown man. Right. <laughs> so, so, so I guess like that, tells me like they were probably responsible. They're supposed to be great light lighthouse keepers, but there's like this insistence with this story that like they never would have broken any rule like related to being outside of the lighthouse at the same time or whatever else. It's like, but it's like emergencies happen. People panic, people make dumb choices, like even experienced people. So that's like one thing that bothers me about like that being put as like, undisputable evidence that, you know, they wouldn't have done such and such a thing. But Yeah. And I, I found that really funny because I also found several mentions of that. And I just kept thinking like, listen, <laughs> I know that these people are at work and like, I know yeah. that, like you said, they're responsible human beings. I'm sure that yeah. they were, I'm sure that they were good at their jobs, but like, I literally do this kind of thing for a living. Let me tell you that these people, like people do not always follow the rules. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, even if they were rule followers, like at most every day of their life, like in, like you said, in emergency situations, like people are going to do what they need. They feel they need to do to save each other. It's just Mm -hmm. human nature. And like, Mm -hmm. there's only three of them there. So like, if they're not going to save each other, who is? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely always that that thing where it's like, they're like, one person had to be in the lighthouse at all times. And it's like, well, if it was daytime, they might all three have been out. But also, like, if you were the one left behind in the lighthouse, and one of the other guys came back in and was like, it's an emergency, like, I need you to come outside right now and like, help me save your coworker and like probably someone that you know very well because you've been living with them for like weeks and weeks. Right. Like you're not just going to be like, nope, the nope. rules say I have to let I them have die. To stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that also, that sort of annoyed me too. Yeah. And so actually it's just a, this is like a perfect segue into theories, some of the yeah. theories that uh, have come up. And before we really like dug into the theories, there were a couple of things we wanted to touch on, uh, that really being one of them. Mm-hmm. I also really wanted to bring up this Donald MacArthur, who like every time I type his name, I keep typing McDonald instead. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would just put that together. Because <laughs> he's Donald MacArthur. So yeah. like, of course you want to type McDonald. <laughs> 
We could just be assholes and call them the occasional. The occasional. Not even a name. <laughs> um, this whole thing about him leaving his raincoat behind, like we'll talk about the box of the missing ropes, but I want to talk about the raincoat first because these, yeah. like this Which is- I can't even remember if I mentioned, but that was, that was one of the things that they noticed when they went inside. Everything was in place, but the two, like, uh, the two raincoats or two waterproof coats for Duckett and Marshall were gone, but MacArthur's was not. Yeah. So, you know, Duckett and Marshall having their coats, like, sure. It's likely that when they went outside, it was raining or there was some kind of storm already. Yeah. I mean, also, it's like December in yeah. the North Atlantic, <laughs> like on this <laughs> tiny island. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Weather's like never going to be great. <laughs> Putting on my coat. <laughs> Putting on my coat. Um, but there was a rule that if they were going outside of the lighthouse, they were supposed to grab their coat. Uh huh. You know, so here's this rule thing again. And yeah. like, you know, MacArthur not grabbing his coat wouldn't have only been cold and wet for him, but it also would have resulted in a fine of some sort. He would have gotten in trouble because he would have been caught potentially caught in a storm without it and yeah that was against the rules you were supposed to have your coat yeah i mean again though (laughs) if it's like if they're in some sort of life or death situation like he's not gonna stop to put his coat on before he leaves the lighthouse like yeah yeah so to me and again, we'll we'll talk more about why I think this, but it just it always has felt like something happened to Duckett and Marshall when they went out to like check something or secure something. The weather is shitty. MacArthur either like sees something going wrong or you know, one of them comes back to get him, but he runs out without his coat and, you know, tries to help them but gets himself in trouble too. My other thought is that like maybe MacArthur is out and he's the first one who gets in trouble. And like, maybe he's out before weather's bad. Yeah. Yes. Well, and this is probably a good time to mention that like MacArthur doesn't have the same, I think I'm going to mention it later, but I'll mention it now. MacArthur doesn't have the same gear as the other two. Like he's again, an occasional keeper. So he doesn't have one of these like, oil skin waterproof coats. He just has like an overcoat that he's brought to use. So yeah, but like even that is left behind. So I don't know. People get really fixated on the coat thing and it's like, I don't know if it's an emergency who gives a shit about your coat. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, hell, even if it's like, I was chatting with Elliot about this earlier. I was like, even Uh If he had like gone out for, I don't know, say a run and said like, oh, I'm just doing like a quick two miles and it's like 40 (laughs) minutes later and he hasn't come back. Like, yeah, I'm not going to think about my coat when I'm going out to look for him, no matter what the way I mean, like, yeah, that's the last thing on my mind. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, it's you definitely wouldn't want to be outside in like terrible weather in in that situation. But again, emergencies happen. People do things that don't necessarily make sense. But anyway, <laughs> we sort of already talked about the other thing is like, you know, again, sure, it was a rule that they had to have a coat. It was a rule that everybody had to be or one person had to be in 
the lighthouse at all times, but like people, rules are made to be broken, right? (laughs) (laughs) And not to say that, you know, these guys were acting stupidly or like were, you know, doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, but whatever, exceptional scenarios happen. Uh, This is also a good time before we jump into theories about what happened to address a couple of details that show up repeatedly. Like I still see them show up in like write-ups that people do very recently as if they are fact. So a lot of podcasts and articles like to talk about these like very ominous logbook entries that were discovered that were supposedly written by Thomas Marshall. Uh, So I'll read those to you now. So it starts with December 12th, gale north by northwest, sea lashed to fury, stormbound 9 p.m. Never seen such a storm, everything ship shape, duck it irritable. 12 p.m., storm still raging, wind steady, storm bound, cannot go out, ship past sounding foghorn, could see lights of cabins, duck it quiet, MacArthur crying. December 13th, storm continued through night, wind shifted west by north, duck it quiet, MacArthur praying, 12 noon, gray daylight, me, duck it, and MacArthur prayed. December 15th, 1 p.m., storm ended, sea calm, God is over all. So it it just like these are just ridiculous to be considered real logbook entries. And like they're always presented as like something was going on, something wasn't right, like MacArthur is losing it, whatever. I had found these notes like pretty early on um, Uh in an article that I was reading and had like based like almost an entire page of notes off of these only to to then find out later after reading others that they were bullshit. So I basically wrote an entire page of notes just to delete an entire page of notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in an article for the 40 and times by Mike Dash, like these show up everywhere. They show up in books, they show up, you know, everywhere, like, and still presented as if they're, they're, they're fact. But he concludes like very logically, I think, and I, you know, I think many agree at this point that they are fictional. So the official documentation from the Northern Lighthouse Board indicates that the last logbook entry was made December 13th. So nothing would have been written on December 15th. Anything that was recorded was recorded on the chalkboard with the intention of transferring it to the logbook at a later date. Uh, And again, that final chalkboard entry was in the morning of December 15th at 9 a.m. The second thing here is that these are not types of things that would be recorded in a logbook. Logbooks are for simple facts like dates and times and weather and wave heights. Like it would be so inappropriate for... Marshall to be writing things and like a spet or writing these things, like especially about Duckett, who is the one in charge. Like, I think yeah. he's like the head guy and he's like writing, like, oh, my boss was being a real jag today. Like, he was irritable. Like, <laughs> like you wouldn't write that the other guy was crying. Like, that would just be, yeah, that would be insane. <laughs> <laughs> Super disrespectful. Um, yeah. 
And just unprofessional. <laughs> yeah. I like clearly was sort of sold on these when I first read the articles, but then like after finding out that it was believed by most people to be fictional. It's like, yeah, really yeah. these read more like their entries coming out of somebody's personal journal right. than some sort of like work document. <laughs> yeah. If somebody had told me that these were like from a journal that Marshall was keeping, then sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess that I, I might believe that, but I think they were just made up at some point, like for the sake of a good story, basically, or some sensationalized version. Yeah, just to make it more exciting. Yes. One of the other details that has gotten brought up a lot in the past as well is that there were half-eaten meals uh, in the living quarters and also a turned over chair. So basically like evidence that they all left very quickly. Mm-hmm. But in the same 40 and times article, Mike Dash concludes that this also is false. It's just another sensationalized detail that's gotten added at a later date. And importantly, it goes directly against the eyewitness reports of Moore and Muirhead that like basically everything was in order at the living quarters. Like the only thing that was weird was that MacArthur had left his jacket behind. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. My name is Cindy Burnett and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast thoughts from a page. We talk spoiler free about their books so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else the importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. So great. Now we can actually jump into what the heck happened to these people. And Honestly, we're sort of doing this backwards from how we normally do it because we're sort of going to do like, here's what actually happened. And then we'll talk about some sillier ones, but that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the the reason I did it this way is because like we already know, we've already talked about what we actually think happened. So (laughs) I figured this made more sense. Yeah. Like, let's not bury the lead. We're just going to talk about like, here's what actually happened. Here are the crazy things that people have come up with over the years. Yeah. And we just have fun (laughs) with it. Um, So the first... And I've given them all my own titles. You like this? So I've named this one the Storm and Crate Theory. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So one of the most common theories out there is that one of the men had fallen um, on the landing steps while they were attempting to retrieve a crate during the storm. And the other two ran out to attempt a rescue, Um, though some of, I guess, the the skeptics of this theory have said that, like, this would explain maybe why the mooring ropes were gone, because, like, they could have used those, but, like, that it doesn't explain why two men would have had time to throw on coats, but the other did not. Yeah. Which I had thoughts about, and I think we, I think you had the same thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I, I like immediately was like, that's silly. Um, I mean, I will say that if you had, like, if you take a look at like the hand carved steps that like lead up from the, the landings, yeah, like you could totally imagine how easy it would be for someone to just like, <laughs> Biffet swept off to oh, see yeah. from those. Like they are, yeah, they are uh, 
not, not crude isn't the right word because they are well carved, but like they are exposed, I guess, to the elements and to the ocean. I was going to say, yeah, you imagine that they're like probably wet and like slick and... Yeah. Here's another thing that I will say, and like this is sort of hearkening back to like people just break safety rules and, and it is what it is, but it's like this is like the same time period where they're building skyscrapers in New York City and stuff. And you just see those pictures of workers like just unsecured, like sitting dozens of stories above the city below you know (laughs) like they're just sitting on the scaffolding like up there eating their lunch and like not connected to anything so it's like who even knows like what were the safety rules here this is (laughs) pre-OSHA it is but I do have to say that like I was impressed that they like had to wear a coat at least yeah (laughs) fair enough it seems like light lighthouse keepers were on their shit in terms of safety stuff and like making sure that like nobody was left alone there was some good safety stuff going on here yeah okay well fine but But anyway i I get your point i'm with you (laughs) yeah so it's funny that this one like specifically yeah that you wrote that it was like one man had gone out and then the other two followed and it's like well more and like the you know, it can't be this because like, why didn't they have a chance? Why did one throw their coat on and the other didn't? And it's like, well, I mean, then it just means that like two go out right. in their coats and like the third follows later. We're making a lot of assumptions about what happened. And even if the story behind the the retrieval of the crate is true, we're then making yeah. a lot of assumptions about what order people went outside it. And like, right, how, right. How do you know? Yeah, right. So it's like, to me, I was like, well, okay, so like two of them have gone out to do some task, and they've put their coats on and they're prepared, something happens, the third runs out to try to rescue and like runs out quickly without his coat. And yeah, and like, that's that. Or like, heaven forbid, somebody broke a rule. I mean, like, I not to say that anybody did, but like, I mean, obviously, somebody I guess, broke a rule, whether it was an emergency yeah. or not. But like, maybe he just went out without his coat. Right. Like, maybe, <laughs> who, who even knows? Maybe two of them were out there. Like, it's, you know, the middle of the day. They don't necessarily all have to be in the lighthouse, you know, because it's not dark yet. And they see something weird and they're like, hey, McDonald, MacArthur, whatever your name is, get out here and look at this. And he's like, yeah, okay. And then like, whatever happens, happens. They get blown off the island or swept away by a wave. And it's like, oh shit, that was terrible timing, but now they're all gone. Right. So anyway, everyone's obsessed with the coats and like the order that everyone went out. And it's like, it's, it's not that mysterious. Like (laughs) whether like, yeah, to me, it's like, okay, so two of them went out in coats and the third followed. It is what it is. Um, another problem with this, this theory is that the stormiest weather around the Island at the time was noted on December 20th. And so some people have taken that to mean that, on December 15th that it was like not stormy and that it was calm and like the weather couldn't have been a factor, but this is also not true. Again, this is the North Atlantic at the end of December. (laughs) Like it's never really going to be that nice. Uh, And it is noted by Captain Holman of the Arctur that it was clear, but stormy. So suggesting not necessarily bad weather, but definitely heavy seas. And it's also worth noting that some of the damage that was noted with like the crane and the missing box of mooring ropes could have been related to this later storm on December 
20th. Mm. So like it could sort of just be like a red herring of like everyone thinks that's related, but it's not really. It happened once they were already gone from whatever else happened. That makes sense. To them. And in terms of sort of like the storm and the crate, um, Muirhead, who's again, the superintendent of the Flann and Alice lighthouse considered that they were blown off the island by high winds, but he decides, I think based on like the prevailing winds for that day, that that was unlikely. Like basically the way the wind was blowing, like if they were outside the lighthouse, like it would have blown them like uphill, not out to sea. Yeah, I had read the same. Yeah. So he concludes that that probably a large wave is more likely. So like, again, the obvious answer is like the more likely answer. So that brings us to (laughs) the wave theory. (laughs) Um, So another common theory, the most likely theory is that a rogue or unusually tall wave had swept the man, the man, the men up um, from the island. And then they were just like never able to make their way back. Duckett had previously been fined for not properly securing the crane. So the superintendent believed that the men may have gone down to that West Landing to make sure that the great crane was properly secured. So he didn't get fined again. Uh, and yeah. then the wave could have hit and, and swept them away at that yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, like money is a great motivator. Yeah. And like, again, as a safety person... <laughs> You would know well that like people might be more likely to go out in conditions that they wouldn't otherwise, or like maybe bend the rules a little bit because they're afraid of, you know, for sure getting in trouble or, or well, especially like you said, I mean, money. if there's money involved and like, yeah, oh yeah, they'll do what they got to do. Yeah. So surprise, surprise. I think a big wave is the most likely explanation here. Uh, and I think for a long time, people question this because they sort of suggest like, oh, it must have been a rogue wave. And the existence of rogue waves was a subject of debate for a long time and like wasn't really accepted until like 1995, but they have been shown to be a real thing. A rogue wave is defined as one that is at least 2.2 times taller than the average height of the tallest third of surrounding waves (laughs) measured from trough to crest. Okay. Yeah. So I would know what a rogue, I would, I could see a rogue wave and know it was a rogue wave now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, it's just like it has to be at least 2.2 times taller than, you know, the average height of the waves around it. So the average height of the waves is 30 feet, which, you know, doesn't sound out of of the realm of possibility for a big storm in that area of the world. Then a rogue wave's height is going to be 66, right? 66. You're right. Look at you. Look at me. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, and I keep stressing like things are shitty in the North Atlantic, big storms, big waves, but like it's a thing and it's actually a rogue wave hitting a drilling platform near Norway in 1995 that helped lead to like them being accepted as a real hmm. phenomena. And it was like an 85 foot wave. So I would not have wanted to be on that drilling platform. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. 
And we know that at the Eileen Moore Lighthouse, we've got this damage to the crane platform, which is 70 feet above sea level. We've got the missing box, the life buoy that's torn off, this huge boulder that's been moved, uh, you know, 30 feet above that. So we know that sometime in that time period, waves of at least 110 feet tall had struck the island, or at least like they're crashing up on the island of 110 feet tall. I think there's some talk that they sort of get like funneled through this little, not valley, but like smaller area basically to sort of build up. But either way, Walter Aldebert, who is the principal keeper from 1953 to 1957, noted that during storms, spray would hit the lamp house, which is the top of the lighthouse, which is 300 feet above sea level. So like spray from these waves is hitting 300 feet up. He actually takes a camera out to take pictures during storms sometimes and says that he was almost washed off of a 200 foot cliff at one point. So like, it's a thing (laughs) on this island that is happening. Like they could have gotten washed away. There are stories from another lighthouse keeper saying that he almost got washed away. So his whole thing is like buying into this idea that, you know, Duckett is worried about the mooring lines. He's worried about getting fined. He and Marshall head down to the West Landing to try and secure them. One of them gets swept into sea and the other runs back to the lighthouse to get MacArthur to help. But then MacArthur and, you know, whoever was left between Duckett and Marshall also get swept out to sea. I think the only odd thing about this is that you know, if one of them ran back for help and brought MacArthur with him, like, wouldn't they know that, like, they should secure themselves a little bit better? But again, it's an emergency and, like, things could have happened really fast. We don't know what time of day this was, right? So, like, who's to say they weren't all out there already? Well, yeah, there's also that. There's also that they weren't all just, like, out there already and MacArthur was just breaking a rule and wasn't out there with his coat. So, yeah. (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts about this coat because here's the other thing. Okay. You may have already said this. So if you did, I'm sorry. But Mm -hmm. like you said, he doesn't have the same gear that everyone else does. So like, do we know if he was the same size as anyone else? Oh, like it could have been him wearing somebody else's coat. Oh, and like that, not that that really changes the story any. No, that's a great point though, because like, yeah, everyone sort of points, it sort of, regardless of like what you think happens, yeah, it sort of like puts MacArthur like in the crosshairs as like being sort of like crucial. Like he's the last man or yeah. like he's the man who must have broken the rules or like, or we'll talk about he's the man who must have done something to the other two. But yeah, like who's to say the weather wasn't fucking shitty and... Yeah, like MacArthur is sent out with one of the other guys to help with something. And they're like, oh, you can just use my coat while you're out there. Yeah. And then something happens. And the third guy is like, oh, shit, MacArthur's wearing my coat. Can't put that on. And he just runs out of the lighthouse without it. Right. Yeah. I just, I don't know. The coat just really gets me because we're just making so many assumptions about this. I know. Everyone (laughs) is obsessed with the coat. And it's like, does does the coat matter? No. Like, it probably doesn't matter. It probably doesn't. (laughs) There are so many scenarios that I can imagine that are perfectly reasonable as to, like, why somebody would be out without a coat. Right. (laughs) 
or some combination of people to get there. Like it doesn't mean that like anything strange happened. <laughs> okay. So yay. Now we get to the, what I would say are the unlikely or just ridiculous theories. <laughs> yeah. And so um, perfect time to be talking about some of the MacArthur theories as we're talking about his coat. Um, because apparently MacArthur had a reputation for being sort of short-tempered, which like MacArthur, me too. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, and some believed that like, because of this, there may have been some sort of fist fight and like maybe the three men were fighting and that caused them all to like fall off the cliffs. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Or that like maybe MacArthur, you know, got really worked up, had a hard time adjusting to this life. If you believe the entries from the logbook, it makes it seem like he's maybe struggling quite a bit to to even be there. And he snaps and murders the other two, throws their body into the water uh, before making the decision to then kill himself. Uh, Great. So, yeah, that's a thing. I don't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure you're about to say the same thing, but this is just so unfair to MacArthur. It really like, poor is. Poor guy just gets called the occasional in the notes that get sent right. out. <laughs> and he's there like doing them a favor and filling in <laughs> for people. Yeah. And like, it, yeah, like I just, I can't believe it. Like he's he's a 40-year-old guy. He's got a wife back in the man, mainland. He's a former soldier, so like he's probably pretty disciplined. Like it's just so shitty to be like, yeah, I snapped and murdered the other yeah. two. It's so it's <laughs> like why? Because there are some like I mean, let's be real for a second. If his coat had not been left there. <laughs> yeah. Then like would the entry, the falsified entries even exist? Or, like, if they did, would they be different? Like, are we blaming, are we literally calling this guy a murderer because he left his coat on a, I don't know. Right. And it's, and again, like you said, it's perfect. I think it's a perfectly reasonable explanation that he was borrowing one of the other coats. And then there was an accident. I mean, that's what I would do. Yeah. And it also makes sense that, like, if something needed to be done and the weather was crappy, so, like, you know, he needed to borrow a coat, like you'd want to leave one of the more experienced people behind in the lighthouse, like rather than the guy who's sort of just filling in. So like, it would make sense to me that you'd send MacArthur out to sort of like do some manual labor rather than, you know, right. Leave him with the sole responsibility of the lighthouse. Yeah. So as you can tell, we don't really buy the MacArthur as a murderer theory. Um, yeah. Not to say that it's an impossible theory, just saying it seems very unlikely. Yeah. And it feels like, like you said, very unfair to him. Um, you know, he is at least the newest of that crew. Like these are sure. the people he's working with all the time. Yeah. Um, he obviously, the coat is left behind. He has this like... I don't even know what this history is, but apparently some history of being short-tempered. Maybe he, you know, got into an argument with someone sometime. I don't know. Um, But, like, he becomes this easy target for people who, like, clearly just want a different answer than, like, it was a wave. Yeah. And, like, why couldn't have been one of the other two snapped and murdered them and pushed them over? Why does it have to be poor MacArthur? (laughs) Yeah. One thing that 
uh, one of the articles that I read pointed out was like, if any of them was going to like snap (laughs) and kill the other two, like most likely for it to be Marshall because he's the youngest and he's unmarried. So yeah, I mean, like he doesn't say that I'm not saying that it gives him any more motivation, but like, yeah, in terms of like, it, it just, for that to happen, it would seem most likely for it to be the youngest guy with like no attachments on the mainland. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. That's poor MacArthur. Yeah. Lay off MacArthur. Right. He's got some sad stuff going on here. Yeah. People, people are judging <laughs> him because his coat was left behind. <laughs> um, poor guy. <laughs> Didn't have a nice coat. Right. <laughs> and everyone's Which like, Which wasn't well, even his fault. You're a murderer. Right. Like they didn't <laughs> supply him with the same gear. Yeah. So, or like, yeah, or he just, you know, I don't know. There seems to be this, I think, I don't know if they had to buy their own gear or something, they something probably like that. <laughs> and so, like, he just didn't, you know, he's like, I'm only doing this part time. Yeah, like, I'm not going to spend all this money on an expensive lighthouse keeper's coat. Fair enough. So, fair enough. so that's one of our ridiculous theories. Um, yeah. The others I didn't really spend too much time on because they just seemed. Yeah, I don't know. I just too silly. Spent zero time on them because I was just like, you know what? It's enough. I, I don't need to give them a lot of time. We, <laughs> I just need to list them. Like you can know that they're out there, but it's stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of them is that like another ship stopped by, and all of the men just decided they were going to like flee their current lives and go start new ones. Which like, <laughs> not that I really know much of anything about the lives of these men or how happy or unhappy they may have been. But it yeah. seems very unlikely to me that all three of them would have made the choice to leave together, right. leave any life or any family they have behind. And then even less likely to me that not a single one of them regretted it enough to come back to their old life <laughs> yeah like i know duckett uh i don't know about macarthur but duckett had uh, had children or at least had a daughter and so like she favors the they got washed away by a wave theory as well for what it's worth but yeah like that they left of their own accord is stupid yeah like if i was gonna abandon my job and just like leave disappear never to be seen again and like my life like i'm not going to be like diligent about keeping the log book up and like doing all the chores and stuff like that like i'm right, just doing like, whatever the fuck i want until i would have brought my damn coat <laughs> <laughs> yeah he left so quickly for his new life that he couldn't even take his fucking coat um <laughs> <laughs> um god damn it that coat <laughs> yeah i mean like i guess i would believe that theory a little bit more if they were like someone kidnapped them but like i don't know is that a thing was there like a rash of lighthouse keeper kidnappings doubtful i mean there was a, a ghost ship um sure you know or like pirates coming and capturing and murdering them all so sure. like, that's that's kidnapping right sure so that's that's a theory. <laughs> yeah, one that uh-huh. we're not gonna spend uh-huh. much time on. <laughs> no. There were there were no ghost ships showing up to take them off the island. <laughs> uh and then yeah, some of the other ones, you know, sea monster, because of course, you know, they're eaten by mm-hmm. a sea serpent or like a giant seabird uh mm-hmm. picked them up, which like we're talking yeah, carried away by very... giant birds was like my particular favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I 
I don't think that there are any like <laughs> seabirds that are carnivorous, <laughs> like in terms of like eating carnivorous for people meat, they eat fish. <laughs> <laughs> people meat. <laughs> Um, abducted, you know, by other mystical beings or other by either a mystical being or, you know, aliens because uh-huh. aliens. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that sort of plays into like the, you know, the little people on the island, or I'm sure whether they're fairies or like an actual race of people or whatever. But yeah, one of the things related to those is that maybe they were turned into giant birds by the little people on the island. Oh, so maybe they turned MacArthur into a giant bird and then he carried the other two men away. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what happened. (laughs) That's what happened. That's why his coat was left behind. (laughs) I don't know. Are there any other theories you want to talk about? I mean, there there were some really silly ones, but like I said, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, they're all, you know, all of the alternative theories like the supernatural theories and i know we're we're spooky science we're you know we talk about the supernatural but they're just all so silly that it's like well the none of these are plausible at all the only one alternative to you know this just being an accident is that one of them murdered the other two but again i think people just villainize MacArthur and like that is shitty. Yeah. I mean, there's like zero evidence that that occurred other than right. just like people are upset that right. he left his coat right. Well, and I talked about at the beginning, like that, the, you know, there's no evidence that there was like a fight or anything right. in the quarters. I mean, I guess you could argue like MacArthur did it and then like cleaned up after himself, but you know, I don't think you're doing, I don't know. I, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to give it any more time. Forget it. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sp- Spooky Island missing lighthouse keepers in the North Atlantic. It's good stuff. <laughs> that wraps us up for episode 51 on the Eileen Moore lighthouse keepers. Tune in for episode 52 on modern folklore with Tyson Kemp. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find us on TikTok at Spooky Science, Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod. Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening, and stay spooky. Spooky Science Sisters is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. I'm Eliza, and I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all, and you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed? Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt, the ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words, my story from my perspective. Because I know you'll hear other versions. Because I want you to have a chance to believe mine. Or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing.